Hey, it's Zach reminding you to check out DC and RC featuring UFC legend Daniel Cormier and Super Bowl champion Ryan Clark, both Louisiana natives as they hang out and kick around the hottest topics from across the world of MMA and preview and review the most important fight cards and storylines. Plus, 30 for 30 is back with Breakaway, a film about WNBA superstar and activist Maya Moore. The film explores the story of Moore, one of the best basketball players in the world, stepping away from the sport for a remarkable reason to fight for a man she believed was wrongly imprisoned. Stream now on ESPN+. Today's interview has been fueled by Gatorade. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast, where it is draft week. Free agency is coming. We are officially in wee mode. And it started yesterday with a rather large trade between the Memphis Grizzlies in New Orleans Pelicans, which affects the top of the draft, the middle of the draft, maybe still has ripple effects. To help us sort it out, a duo as dynamic as any in the world at their jobs, our draft gurus, intel gathering experts, clip breaking down gurus, Mike Schmitz and Jonathan Gavoni. How are you? Great, Zach. Thanks for having us, man. We're almost there. A couple, uh, 48 hours here, so. Doing well, Zach. having me. All right, well, let's start with the trade that happened on Monday where Memphis effectively took on $43 million of salary between this coming season and the one after that by absorbing Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe in exchange for Jonas Valanciunas. And as a reward, as a cookie, they move up from 17 to 10 in this draft's first round, so seven spots, from 51 to 40. In this draft, second round, 11 spots. Okay, 51 to 40. That could be something, could be nothing, could be something we don't even remember. And get a top 10 protected Los Angeles Lakers 2022 first round pick to add to their arsenal of future picks that includes a Utah pick and a Warriors pick with very light protections. So, you know, some draft stuff for a team that's taken on between Deion Waiters, James Johnson, Steven Adams, Eric Bledsoe, a whole ton of dead money over the last couple years what they have to show for it is justice winslow who doesn't appear to be long for the team and did absolutely jack nothing while during his time in memphis and this draft equity which is um kind of interesting so let's start with memphis who is at 10 now clearly they've got someone they like at 10 the buzz immediately was they're not done they're going to try to keep moving up Based on what I heard last night over the phone and making calls, that buzz is legitimate. The Grizzlies are poking around to get even higher into the top 10. Mr. Gavoni, who do they like? What are they up to here? I believe you have them mocked to take Giddy um, from Australia. But what, what else could be going on here? So, Zach, this is the rare trade that was kind of sniffed out four or five days in advance. And all the buzz that we kept hearing was, this is going to happen in some iteration and that they really like two guys, Franz Wagner and Josh Giddy. Wagner in our mock draft is going ninth right now. Uh, is also has a real chance to go seven or eight. So if he's not there, Giddy is uh, the guy. On paper, not the greatest fit, you know, with um, Morant being a good, not great shooter. Uh, Giddy probably, you know, less than that. And so, but... I love this for Memphis because this is probably the guy with the highest IQ in the draft besides Cade Cunningham, just elite at doing all the little things in terms of cutting and getting deflections and blocks and rebounds and making every pass in the book, every read you want out of pick and roll. 
only 18 years old, has a, you know, really looked the part to me in that Nigeria game uh, last week. Um, you know, seven NBA players on the floor, picking him up full court, really held his own defensively, I thought. So I'm a big Josh Giddy fan, and uh, he would be a really fun guy to see on Memphis's team. Schmitz, you're nodding emphatically. Tell me why. I love Josh Giddy as well. I mean, I was out in Vegas and watched like a three-hour Australian national team practice, and it was Giddy versus Joe Ingles. It was Giddy versus Matisse Thibel. Matthew Delavado was on the floor, Aaron Baines, and Giddy was the best passer in the gym. And honestly, like no slight to Joe Ingles, it wasn't really even close. And and he was playing with like this confidence and this edge that you know you really don't always see from 18 year old guys especially like matisse thibel we know how good of a defender he is and he looked really comfortable honestly so between that and the nigeria game i think and then on top of what he did in australia i mean he had three triple doubles in four games you know and so to add that size in basketball iq like gavoni said i i think would be huge for a team like that if he's there um there's a lot of options at 10 i mean say he's not right okay then you could look at Corey Kispert, 6'7", Joe Harris type of shooter. You could look at Moses Moody, another wing shooter. Like 10, I feel like you can get a really good player. Um, but like Jonathan said, maybe maybe they're not done. Gavoni, you, I believe you reported yesterday they had a secret one-on-zero workout with Moses Moody, right? Yes, and they also interviewed James Booknight. They're, they're said to be studying... Uh, Kaminga, you know, who could be there at 10 and would absolutely be an option if they moved up. So, yeah, I think that they're going to be exploring a lot. I mean, the giddy buzz has been really, really strong. And, you know, just as soon as that trade popped, I got like five texts immediately from, you know, high level execs saying that that's giddy right there. Giddy has a floor now. You could say, if you wanted to, that Mike Schmitz, Jonathan Gavoni and the Memphis Grizzlies are giddy about giddy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That was really terrible, but I just I just couldn't resist. So 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 is the buzz about Memphis moving up like a just in case thing like just in case somebody takes a guy we want, we want to be able to move up or is there is there is is it just exploratory? Like how do you read Gavoni, I'll start with you. How do you read the buzz of like Memphis is still trying to move up and where could they realistically get to? I mean, they have some mid-sized contracts like 8 to 10 million dollar contracts the Brandon Clark and Tillman contracts that are much lower, how high could they possibly get? I think the Warriors, you know, are a natural trade partner at seven. Uh, you know, the Grizzlies have so many of those young, intriguing uh, rookie scale contract players, you know, like a Desmond Bain, uh, like a Xavier Tillman, Brandon Clark. You know, if they if the Warriors are feeling uh, if the if the Grizzlies are feeling really frisky and, and want to do something with Melton, I mean he's super attractive on, on a good contract. I don't, you know, does something get done? I'm not sure. You know, I've kind of learned to be skeptical. You know, in my almost 20 years of doing this, because we always talk about big trades and they so rarely materialize. But I mean, they do have the assets to do something if they if they really want to. I just think that it's going to be tough for Golden State. Uh, you know, unless. I mean, they could be a, a, a giddy team also. I mean, you've heard some buzz about them at seven with Josh as well as Wagner. And so if they feel like they can move down three slots, still get their guy, and then pick up a, you know, a, a young player or two on a, on a rookie-scale contract who's going to help them next year, I think that could be a win for them. Schmitz, any thoughts? My theory, uh, and this is based in 
very little fact, but my, my theory is that they want to get up to seven to potentially draft Franz Wagner. Um, that's just like my looking at it from an outsider's perspective, because the thought within the league, it's like the worst kept secret that Franz Wagner has like a soft promise to Sacramento. That's like what everyone's been saying for the last, I don't know, it feels like a month now, right? I'd like to know what a soft promise actually is. <laughs> if, I made a, if I made a soft promise to my wife, I don't think, hey, hey honey, <laughs> let's make a soft promise. We'll go out to dinner the night after the draft. I know I've been working <sighs> on this. And then, and then, well, I can't go tonight because there was a trade. I was a soft promise. It was a soft promise. Well, I think it's. I felt like it started as a hard promise, and then he did workouts with, uh, you know, different teams. He did workouts with Golden State. Who else, John? You remember who? Who? Franz, Toronto, Toronto. Orlando. So I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I I assume that Sacramento has seen him too, you know, and so yeah, I, I don't I don't know that it's a promise. I mean, to me, like. If it's a promise, you don't do any workouts, you know, and uh, and Sacramento is openly shopping this pick. So I just think they could really like him and end up drafting him at nine. A soft right. promise is like, is like, yeah, I'll, I'll come to your house on Saturday for a barbecue. And then there's traffic that morning. You're like, yeah, I don't really think I feel like that's a, you know, that's a soft promise. Let's talk about, let's do the Warriors now because we might as well do the Warriors. Um, so everybody knows the Warriors are loading up to try to get a star, right? And they want, if they're going to use seven, this is the buzz that's going all around. If they're going to even dare to put seven in any kind of discussion, if they're not just going to throw their phone away when you call about seven, it's got to be an all-star. And really the only realistic name, because I, I don't sense the Warriors are a Ben Simmons team. I don't know what you guys have heard, but I, I don't sense that they're a real strong Ben Simmons team. It would have to be Beal. And as of right now, Tuesday, 9.18 a.m. Eastern time, 50 hours or whatever before the draft, there's been no credible buzz that Bradley Beal is going to go to Washington and say, it's time now, and we're just running out of time. So absent that, right, the Warriors are still trying to win the championship next year. The Warriors just saw Steph Curry have an MVP-level season. Klay Thompson's coming back, conditioned TBD. Draymond Green just finished third in Defensive Player of the Year vote. Can't score anymore, whatever. You can still do lots of stuff. Like, you're gearing up to win now, even if you can't get Beal. So I've been tinkering and toying around. Like, is there a way the Warriors can use one of their draft picks? Yes, they have this dream mega deal in mind. It's not in play right now. It's not. It may not be in play right now. You're trying to win. Can they use 7 or 14 to get, like, a pretty good player who could help them this season? Because they do need help this season. 14 is just kind of a meh asset. Like, I don't think you're really going to get too much for 14. There's this idea, like, they can't really use Ubre's sign and trade because the calendar doesn't line up. That has to happen late. They can't They can't negotiate that now. We saw what happened with the Bucks and Bogdanovich last year. Everybody got slapped on the wrist. Um, they have some middling contracts like Looney, Poole, Mulder, Lee, they can pull together. Uh, and on the high end, they have Wiggins. So I'm sitting here trying to build trades where they include seven, but they move down only a little bit, like to 10, to nine, to eight, to 12, maybe too far with San Antonio, and just get guys who, yeah, this isn't a dream, and, but they help us win this season. The problem is going to be if there's someone they just love at seven that falls to them, they'll probably just take that guy and say, we're happy. So this is all stuff that could happen on the clock. 
But uh, uh, Schmitz, I'll start with you. Is there is there a Warriors trade back scenario that you like at all? Well, Jonathan and I talked about it a little bit yesterday uh, and online. I mean, I think if you do move back to 10 and, and he just said it and you can get a guy like, you know, it's a little complicated, but if you can get a guy like D'Anthony Melton or you can get a guy like Brandon Clark or Xavier Tillman, you know, someone who would bring a little bit of toughness. I mean, I think Melton would be awesome, you know, with with Steph and Clay. you know, ball mover has improved as a shooter, defender, smart. Um, like he fits that style of play, and then uh, if you- I'm like I'm like president of the the Anthony Melton fan club. He he is. They call him Mister Do Something or Mister Do Everything. I can't remember on the Memphis broadcast. Since I'm not on TV, I call him Mister <laughs> It Up. He just comes in and <laughs> it up, man. That guy just does stuff. I'm in on him. Keep going. I'm sorry. No, I think he would be a perfect fit. So if you move back to 10, all right, then you're, again, going to get potentially a Davion Mitchell, okay? The the thought is that he's most likely going to be available at 10. So that's a guy who I think is attractive because of his defense and he can help you right away. Um, you know, older, obviously, fits kind of their style of play. You could look at, you know, Corey Kispert or is Josh Giddy available? If you love Josh Giddy, then you can potentially get him at 10 and then you pick up a guy like Melton or whoever it is. So uh, I think that's a really interesting move, you know, to to pick up somebody from Memphis who can help you next year and then get a guy like a Giddy or a Davion or shooting in Kispert or Moses Moody who can also help you right now. And then you still have 14 to get, you know, another potential wing shooter, whether that's Chris Duarte, whether that's Trey Murphy out of Virginia. He's kind of like a, a Cam Johnson type. Um, you know, if you do stay put at seven and Jonathan Kaminga's there or James Booknight is there, I think those are two really interesting options. I mean, Booknight, like he could be a Jordan Clarkson type of guy early on in his career. Like they could use that scoring punch, you know, and I think he can help you now and has some upside. And then you would hope that you they could use Kaminga maybe in like a Harrison Barnes type of role as well. So a lot of options for Golden State, but I kind of do like that move back to 10 and pick up a player from Memphis. So here's a trade that works, and it's going to also illustrate some of the problems of this conceit. Melton, Clark, and number 10 for Poole, Looney, Mulder, and Lee, because that's how many guys you have to get to cobble up the salary to make it work, and seven. And so here are the issues. I could see Golden State saying, that's still not enough for us to go from seven to 10. I'm not sure I agree with that. I don't know the draft guys well enough. Maybe they think that, maybe they don't. I could see Memphis saying that's too much for us to drop back three spots because we like somebody at seven. I could see the number of players involved being a complicated. Anytime you're putting in four players from one team, it gets a little bit messy and Memphis has a crowded roster already. So that's the issue for the Warriors is you either deal Wiggins and then you've got to have lots of money moving around in the deal. And by the way, I think the Warriors are higher on Wiggins than maybe 25 of the remaining 29 teams in the NBA. That's another issue here. They they think they're super high on seven and they're super high on Wiggins. So all those kind of deal constructions are going to run into that problem. And then on the lower end, you just have to cobble all of these picks together, all of these players together, rather, just to make the salary work enough to get you a $10 million player, a $9 million player. So those are the challenges the Warriors face. But if I were them and... I'm not getting Beal. I would at least have to think about this. Uh, on the flip side, if they love somebody at seven, they can just take them and say, we love them. And someone's going to become available in January or February. We might as well save our best draft capital for that, which is why I think 
status quo may be more likely. But Gavoni, what do you, what do you think? Well, I think that you could always expand that New Orleans trade also. And, you know, I would think that Mulder and Lee are going to be guys that New Orleans would maybe have a little bit of interest in. Mulder as a 39% three-point shooter, Damian Lee 40% on pretty high volume, you know, for the amount of minutes that those two guys played. So I think that's an interesting trade for both sides. I'm not – it feels like uh, the drop from 7 to 10 – isn't as big today as it felt like a month ago, especially with Jonathan Kaminga floating around. Nobody has any idea where he's going at this point. And guys like Moody has raised his stock. Um, Giddy, uh, you know, has really good momentum behind him now. Uh, Wagner, it seems like the, the entire league likes. So I think it's a, it's a pretty interesting trade. Like you said, it's very complicated, though. Here's another one. You ready for this one? These are like, these strike me as on the clock trades. Like guy that I like is there at seven. Um, warriors are taking him just to, just to squeeze me or as part of an agreement or guy that I like is going to fall here or whatever. So here's one. Wiggins and number seven to Sacramento for Harrison Barnes, DeLon Wright and number nine. That relies on Sacramento being like, there's a guy at seven that we just absolutely love. We can't get him because you're taking him. We'll do this. Does that strike you that you're laughing? Givoni is laughing at me. Why are you laughing at me? I mean, my head is exploding right now. I'm just trying to get through this draft, Zach, honestly. <laughs> it's complicated enough trying to figure out you know, who's going to be drafted and, and who's going to go in the first round. and you know, So I can't even think about all this right now. That was pretty good, I thought. Is that is that, that far-fetched? Like, no, I, don't, I, like I, don't, I don't love that for Sacramento because I just don't – I think Harrison Barnes is better than Andrew Wiggins. As, as a fit for the Warriors, I think Harrison Barnes is better than Andrew Wiggins. As a fit for the Kings, I don't really know. It just would rely on the Kings being like, I'm just hell-bent on getting this particular guy at seven and you're taking him. Well, if that guy is the great Franz Wagner, who we keep mentioning, and you think he's not going to make it to nine, then maybe that is something you think about. You know, like if you think he's, you know, a top five player in this draft and you got to move up to get him, um, you know, maybe that does make sense. And and I think he's highly attractive just because, like, I I mean, he he might, Gavoni said it the other day, he he might be 6'10, 6'11 now. And he's younger than Jalen Suggs, Evan Mobley. Uh, Sharif Cooper, like a lot of the freshmen in this draft. So I think teams see him as a guy who can come in right away and play like three positions um, and has a lot of experience. So that's that's why he's highly coveted. And that's why I think that trade could potentially make sense if they really are in love with him. Zach, to me, it feels like Sacramento is more likely to move down or out of this draft than up. Because, you know, the the talk you hear around the league is that they really want to make a playoff push next year and that they're looking for veteran guys. Uh, they want contributors. They you know, are really looking at bringing Rashawn Holmes back. And uh, so I don't know. I mean, I mean it's an interesting trade, but um, I, I feel like Sacramento, I hear more with teams behind them uh, at 13. I mean, they were also a candidate at 17 with New Orleans. And, uh, you know, even- fine. Bur- burst my bubble. That's fine. <laughs> Come on my podcast and burst my bubble. There is a lot of Rashawn Holmes going back to Sacramento, Buzz. we'll see on August, whatever the moratorium, the fake moratorium starts. I, then you just, I played around with the magic because they have five and eight, like Wiggins and seven for Terrence Ross, Gary Harris and eight. That feels like, what's the point of all of that? And the Warriors would probably be like, we think Andrew Wiggins is better than both Terrence Ross and Gary Harris, so we don't care. Well, but we'll give you Wiggins and 14 
for that same package and the magical like no 14 stinks talks over like it's just it's just hard I saw a Grizzlies blogger and I'm forgetting who it was last night pitch slow-mo who's on an expiring like slow-mo's good he's coming off a career season shot the three well scored well but he's on an expiring and he's going to want to get paid if he has another season like he just had so the pitch was like slow-mo Tyus Jones, Bledsoe, and I don't even know if Bledsoe can be aggregated. I'm like, you, Gavoni, my head is ex- exploding from all of this. So let's just pretend that he can. Uh, and like a Lakers pick and the Jazz pick that they own in 2022 for Wiggins and seven. And my reaction is the Warriors, that's a hard no because we need 10. We're not, we're not like, it's nice that you're giving us all this stuff. And Tyus Jones is all right. And Slumbo is all right. And Bledsoe is what he is. But those picks aren't good enough. We need ten, and I think that's where the conversation might fall away. These are just these are just they're just hard trades to make. I mean, that's 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 the bottom line. Um, have we missed any Warriors angles that you guys want to hit? I mean, it seems it see I I still think forty eight hours out, the most likely scenario is the Warriors are just picking two guys at seven and fourteen. But I don't know how I don't know what the odds of that anymore are. Does it does that do, you, do either of you disagree? No, I think you keep hearing that they're going to take one swing at the highest prospect, the best long-term prospect on the board, which could be Jonathan Kaminga, seven, and then they're going to go safe at 14. I mean, they'd love to get Davion Mitchell. He's probably not there. So you start looking at guys like uh, Chris Duarte, like Trey Murphy, uh, you know, shooters that can play a role immediately. So, I mean, that's what we're hearing right now, but... You know, anything can happen over the next, uh, you know, 54 hours or whatever it is. Oh, what about Derek White? <laughs> sorry, I, can't, I, can't help it. I can't help it. Derek White. I thought about Derek White, DeJounte Murray at number 12 for Wiggins and seven. The Spurs probably say that's too much. White and Murray are too good. So then we go like, what about White? Purtle and some filler for Wiggins and seven. Then I think the Warriors probably and then I just gave up. I gave up. Let's stop talking about the freaking Warriors. <laughs> Win the play-in tournament and we'll talk about you a little bit more. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay, full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. With a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Let's talk about the Pelicans' angle of all this, because I think that's really interesting. They have now opened up up to $36 million in cap space, presumably, according to reporting from Mark Stein and others, for Kyle Lowry. 
uh, and maybe 25 if you include Josh Hart. And I think they should try to re-sign Josh Hart. And and I think 25 for Lowry is fair and might get it done. Um, they traded two first-round picks to get off this money. And for a rebuilding team, suboptimal to do that. However, they have a whole crap ton of picks still coming from the Lakers and the Bucks. They put protections on this Lakers pick just in case, and those are non-trivial protections. We saw an almost just-in-case scenario happen to the Lakers last year where they ended up falling much lower in the standings than people thought. And obviously, they're trying to be next year's Suns slash Hawks, where we have a transcendent young talent. We have another very good young talent. We need an organizer like Chris Paul or we need, like, we need the our Chris Paul slash Bogdan Bogdanovich, Danilo Gallinari, Clint Capella, veteran additions. Jonas Valanciunas can be our Capella. Um, to me, this is interesting for a couple reasons. Number one, those Suns-Hawks precedents are, it, it's, apples, it's apples to oranges to some degree. Because the Suns, we saw the bubble and we could tell they were onto something. New Orleans has no proof of concept yet with this team doing anything serious other than losing a whole bunch of close games uh, in, in the last two minutes. Um, unlike the Hawks, they don't, they have, they have the transcendent young, they have the Trey young, which is Zion. The Hawks, I guess don't have a good player, another good young player, quite as good as Ingram, but the Hawks were just loaded with all of these young support guys in Hunter, Reddish, Herder, blah, 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 who were ready to take a step up. I'm not sure the Alexander Walker, Kyra Lewis group is quite at that level. And the other thing is like, the Suns became a great defensive team. The Pelicans have been an abysmally bad defensive team. And I'm not sure what their roadmap to being an okay defensive team is. So I'm a little uh, less optimistic that they can be next year's Suns and Hawks. But if Zion is that good, I don't necessarily blame them for using one of their last remaining big cap space chips to, to try Gavoni, what do you think of what of what they're up to here? Do you think they're overshooting this? Is this like Anthony Davis 2.0 where they're just rushing too fast to appease a young superstar and they're going to end up regretting it? Or, or do you think this can work? I just don't think they have any choice. I mean, you, you go through three coaches in 10 months. At some point, it people are going to start looking in the front office and saying, you know, what's going on here? So there is no margin for error here they need to make the playoffs and be competitive in that playoff series and try to win a series if they if before this thing potentially blows up with zion williamson going to management and saying i want out of here you know you guys i'm not going to you know waste my career here with you know toiling in mediocrity so i agree with you that ideally you would like to have a slower rebuild and you know i would always think about bringing Lonzo Ball back. You know, I don't understand how this guy's 23 years old. He's younger than Chris Duarte, who's about to go in the lottery. Um, he's going to be really, really good for somebody next year. I mean, if I'm the Pacers or, you know, the the Hornets, someone like that, I'm doing anything I can to get Lonzo Ball on my team next year. So, yeah, I just don't think that they that they have a, a choice. So this is just, you know, something that they that they have to do if these guys want to keep their jobs and, and keep Zion in town. 
I mean, they could definitely make a leap next season if they got a Lowry type in as point guard. They just need to figure out some kind of defensive identity. And I think the offensive identity is also a little bit less clear than it will. Like you get Trey Young is an offense unto himself, right? That identity is Trey Young, Clint Capella, boom, done. Uh, and we didn't even mention John Collins, who there's some optimism now that Atlanta is going to be able to re- resign him. We'll see what happens um, after. I keep saying July 1st when it usually is, whenever the day is. And Chris Paul and Devin Booker, you know, like what the offense is more or less going to look like in Phoenix. In, in New Orleans, we went from, oh, well, why aren't they using Zion as a ball handler to, oh, my God, Point Zion is mashing people all over the floor. OK, but what's Brandon Ingram really doing while Point Zion is, is doing stuff? Is, is he that useful? OK, now here comes Kyle Lowry. Like they have some uh, there's a ton of talent. The roadmap on both ends of the floor just isn't isn't quite as clear to me. And Givoni, like. I I I am I think Lonzo is one of the most interesting players in the NBA. He I I think we have no choice now but to believe that the three-point shooting is real. 37.5% two seasons ago and remember that includes the bubble where he just missed everything and maybe you just throw that out because it was weird there was a long layoff. 38% last year on eight attempts a game. His his off the dribble threes are awful. His spot up threes are great. And I've had, I've actually been surprised by the number of teams who I didn't think, I mean, we all know Bulls, Knicks, all the teams that need point guards and have cap room. I've been surprised by the number of teams that have, let's say, lead ball handlers already who are wings or or bigger guards who have asked me how Lonzo would fit with their team because they're just intrigued by the kind of the verve he would bring to their offense. Like he's fun to play with. He makes the extra pass. And I, I've heard that he and Zion are pretty tight. Like I'm I'm surprised that New Orleans appears ready to move on. And maybe they're not even ready to move on. Maybe Lonzo is just like, if Kyle Lowry's just using us as a stalking horse, well, that's our plan B. We'll just bring back Lonzo, bring back Josh Hart and let it roll. I guess, I don't know. Schmitz, what do you what do you think of what they're up to? Well, I think it's interesting looking at the player Lonzo is now. Like in the pre-draft process during his draft, there were a lot of people who were questioning like, is Lonzo a point guard? You know, and, and it kind of sounded crazy at the time just because he was such a good passer and he was so electric in transition and all that. But looking at it now, like I think they're right. You know what I mean? Like he he's like a three and D utility guard who moves the ball, can shoot, and has great defensive instincts, right? And so you can that's why those teams you mentioned with those big playmakers are intrigued by him because like he doesn't need to pound it 50 times, you know, to have an impact. And I think that's why he's gonna look really good on like winning teams you know and I agree with both of you I think he's incredibly underrated um, just because of the basketball IQ the ball moving style and I think the th- three-point shooting is going to stabilize I mean I remember watching him at Chino Hills he would pull from from 40 and like knock down knock down knock down funky mechanics but he's always been able to make deep threes it's just like the consistency of it um so i i would love to have him on my team i think he's actually a good fit with zion and then you know they're not going to turn things around with the 17th pick but they can still get a good player there um you know you talk about like the defensive identity i mean uzman garuba is maybe the best defender in the draft you know um he's coming out of real madrid obviously same club as luca completely different player but you know i watched him against team us say and he was guarding Kevin Durant he was guarding Jason Tatum he was guarding Jeremy Grant you know and so I don't know how he fits offensively with Zion he's not a great shooter um but that's a guy I could see like you know at 17 maybe he's interesting 
they just need shooting. And yeah. so I kept reading yesterday how Valanchunas is a, is a better fit than Adams around Zion. And I agree in theory because Adams was just a horrible fit. And I never understood that extension. I never understood why they did it. It made no sense to me. Valanchunas, he still wants to post. Like, I know that he'll go out to the three-point line four times a game. And he'll do the thing where he gets the ball and nobody's on him. And he checks the wind. And he pumps fake, pump fakes nobody because nobody's there. But he just wants to pump fake anyway. And maybe somebody falls for it 20 feet away because it's a pretty convincing pump fake. And then he pump fakes again. And he does a dribble hand. No, no dribble hand. And then he's like, fine, I'll shoot my 1-3. It's not like he's Carl Anthony Towns out there. People are like, he's a great fit next to Zion. And defensively, you're really hamstrung in how you can play. He's a, he's a below average drop back big who doesn't really protect the rim. Like, I agree he's a better fit. But it's not like some seamless, uh, a great fit. And everything you said about Lonzo, like he's not a traditional point guard. He can't do what Trey Young does. He doesn't have a floater. He doesn't have a mid-range game. He never gets to the rim. He never gets to the line. Uh, he, he's been a shaky free throw shooter until last year. We shot 78%, which is a great sign. Um, but he can do lots. Of, he's just like a, a very, very, very souped up Patrick Beverly, like on a good team, like except with 100 times more playmaking. Um uh, and, and yeah, I didn't mention also Jackson Hayes. I think there's a lot of belief internally that Jackson Hayes is ready to, to take a bigger role. We'll see how all those young guys do. But I just think they're and – and I think you're right, Gavoni. They're just – clearly they're under a lot of pressure. I don't know if the pressure is coming from ownership or Zion's camp or whatever, but this is a team that needs to win next year. And have you heard anything about Brogdon for Lonzo in a sign-and-trade? That's been one of the hot rumors. Um, it's been one of the hot rumors – don't know what to think of it, honestly. I, I So I haven't mentioned it because I, I kind of don't know if I believe it. Um, obviously, the Pacers have a new coach in Rick Carlisle. I, seems like a dramatic move. Lonzo, I guess, fits. Fit, I, I don't really know what the Pacers are doing. I mean, they have a lot of good players. I don't know how they all fit together. I don't know how exchanging Lonzo for Brogdon clarifies the picture for me. It certainly gets them younger. Um, I don't know. What do you What do you think of that? Why just you're just curious? I mean, you just they're another team. Three coaches in the last eleven months. You know, you hire Rick Carlisle, you give him seven million dollars a year. You're not doing that to rebuild. You want to win right now. But then we've also been hearing for the past year about all this internal strife in their locker room. You know, guys being super unhappy, and you know, some of that was the coach who they replaced now. But I don't think that that just magically went away, and so. I could see the Pacers being another team that's active on draft night, you know, looking to, you know, use that number 13 pick to, to pick up a contributor and just kind of reshuffle the deck a little bit and, and try and make a, a push here at the playoffs and, and hopefully win a, a series. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Everyone is penciling the Pacers back into the playoffs. Like, oh, they got Rick Carlisle. They have all these good players. TJ Warren's going to be back, blah, blah. Okay, so let's go through the playoff teams in the East from this, this past year. Philadelphia not going anywhere. Brooklyn not going anywhere. Milwaukee not going anywhere. Atlanta probably not going anywhere. That's four. Heat, pretty strong nucleus of players. That's five. Boston, figure they're going to keep kicking around. That's six. Then you have New York, which I think is going to be a little bit of a prove-it season for them. Obviously, they've got a ton of cap space. We'll see what they do. And Washington, which, you know, obviously we talked about Beal. That's a big wild card. And then Charlotte's trying to win. Toronto, TBD, Chicago, we haven't even talked about yet, is under enormous pressure to win. 
enormous pressure. They just traded all that stuff for Vucevic and missed the play-in tournament. Yes, Zach Levine had to be out for health and safety protocols. That was a disaster. But they don't have as many core young pieces as you would think they would have for having been bad for so long. Like Markkanen doesn't appear to have really worked out. We'll see what happens with him. Dunn didn't work out. And they've lost. They've just had a lot of young talent kind of drain. They're under a lot of pressure. So I don't know if it's like 100% lock that you could just pen these teams into the Eastern Conference playoff next year. But um, that's a whole different story. Let's go to the top of the draft because, oh baby, there's a lot of good stuff at the top of the draft. Detroit, Houston, Cleveland, Toronto. One, two, three, four. Everything we said about David Griffin and the Pelicans being under pressure applies to the Cavaliers who need to show a huge jump in winning next year. And I think everyone crafting Cavaliers trades, are they going to trade back? Are they going to trade up? What are they going to do with Sexton? Needs to just keep in mind, this team needs to win. Maybe not win. This team needs to make some sort of tangible progress in the win column next year. They're not just going to dump good players here, good players there. Whatever you think of Colin Sexton, it's 24 points a game on pretty good shooting. Like, they're just going to give that away uh, to move whatever in the draft. Um Let's start at the very top. Woj reported yesterday, Detroit not quite 100% locked in on Cade Cunningham. Schmitz, what, what am I to do with that? I mean, I think Detroit is still just doing their quote-unquote due diligence with this, right? I think Cade Cunningham is going to end up being the number one overall pick. Um, but, you know, Troy Weaver has had success with kind of some outside-the-box guys as well. I mean, you know, he was a big driving force in drafting Russell Westbrook, you know, when everyone didn't see him maybe as as that caliber of guy you know he's he's liked athletic guards he's liked young bigs like Evan Mobley and you know the further you get from like the type of season that Cade Cunningham had like he's not an empty gym one-on-o guy you know right so like you bring him in and then you see Jalen Green work out and you're like man like, are, are, are we sure, you know, but I think ultimately they're going to take Cade Cunningham. I think he's the best player. I think they think he's the best player and I think he's going to be the number one pick, but um, you know, they're just going through their normal process. But I, I personally think it would be crazy if, if they passed on him. I think that uh, they're telling the league we're open for business. Bring us your best offers. We're not settled on anybody. Houston, if you've decided that Jalen Green is your guy, Come to us and let's maybe make a trade and maybe get Cade Cunningham or, or, or we're happy with Jalen Green too also. Personally, I think they're making a big mistake broadcasting this to the world. You're the freaking Detroit Pistons. Nobody wants to play for you, okay? So Cade Cunningham comes to your city and says, I would love to be a Detroit Piston. And then you turn around and, and, and say, well, you know, maybe he's not the guy for us, you know? So this will all pass. Obviously, they'll they'll. 99% draft Cade Cunningham and and everything will work out. But I just, I don't love this if I'm a Detroit Pistons fan. Yeah, I have said for two weeks since we've been talking about the draft that I, I no matter what the intel is, I am going to be borderline shocked if it's anything but Adam Silver saying with the number one pick Detroit selects Cade Cunningham. I just don't, I just don't, I'd still be shocked. I guess nothing should shock me. And then you have Houston and Cleveland, you know, well, well, I think both of those teams, from where I stand, 
seem very happy to just draft where they are. I, I, I don't sense a lot of urgency to, to move up, to flip-flop picks, to move down a pick. I, they seem thrilled to be where they are. That said, like a, like a horror movie villain around the corner. Like 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 Michael Myers stalking you silently and you can't get away from him even though he's just walking and you just can't get away from him. There is a looming threat armed with a lot of weaponry coming from Oklahoma City. Schmitz, you just mentioned him to me off air. What I, and I can tell you that teams toward the top are waiting. They're waiting. They're looking at the turn around. Whoa, was that it? Is, is that Presty on the phone? Is that oh no, it's not. It's 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 my it's my kid. Uh, they're waiting every every time a door creaks open. They're turning around. Ah! They're waiting for the mega offer <laughs> from Oklahoma City to startle them uh, as the draft approaches. Schmitz, what are you hearing? Uh, and then Gavone, you can go after. What are you hearing about the Thunder, who obviously have number six and so many picks? It's just absolutely audacious. Well, this is why you stockpile these picks, right? This is why you do this to go get a potential star, a franchise cornerstone. And we've talked about this being this generational draft with three number one overall picks. I think they want to get inside the top three and, and potentially go get a guy like Evan Mobley, you know, somebody who has the type of length and versatility that every team is looking for. And so that's that's what I hear, that that the Thunder want to go up and they want to get Evan Mobley. Um, just because there are a lot of teams in the NBA, maybe it's they're one of them that believe that in three, four years, he might end up being the best one. And, you know, if, if you're on their timeline and, and time is on your side and, and, and you can really take your time with development, you know, I think he is really intriguing obviously and, and so um that's kind of the the somewhat quiet buzz it, it seems within the league that you know that oklahoma city wants to use this treasure trove of picks to to get inside the top three and and mobley is the here the name that you probably hear the most zach you hear different things on oklahoma city front and i'm, and I'm really not sure what to believe on one hand those some of those teams in, in the lottery are telling me that they have not had any conversations with Oklahoma City yet, but they anticipate that things are going to heat up on draft night. Uh, the uh, word, the word, the phrase "gone dark" has been used to me. Like, exactly, we exactly right. So, you know, they have all these trade exceptions, all these picks. You know, a bunch of really interesting young players. They could literally do anything they want in this draft. Now, there's some talk about. You know, Shea Gilgis Alexander and six for one. I'm not sure how much truth there is to that. Um, I'm not buying it. Um, I, I, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I, look, I, 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 this is prime disinformation season. And the Thunder are right now, like people are talking about them like Kaiser Soze. So I don't know what to think. But the best I can do, all I can do is the best, talk to as many people as I can and the, make the best possible conclusion I can make. The best I can do is that I don't think Shea Gilgis-Alexander is really available. I agree with you. But if you're Shea Gilgis-Alexander and the, the Thunder come to you at all-star break next year and say, you know what, we're going to shut you down for the rest of the year, for the second straight year, is that really something that you're interested in as a guy who's trying to establish himself in this league as an all-star and as a max player? You know, at some point, I would think that a guy like Lou Dort is going to – he's like one of the most competitive players in the NBA. You know, tanking is not going to be something that's very attractive to him. So, you know, my question with, you know, these 700 picks they have over the next five years is, what is their timetable? You know, how long is this going to take? 
Uh, and, and that's going to be one of the, you know, we're going to get some answers to that on Thursday, I think. Um, if I were Oklahoma City, one of the things I would be doing is, you know, I think Mark Stein reported this last week that it's not, he used his language very carefully, it's no longer viewed as a certainty that Kawhi Leonard is going back to the Clippers. That's what Mark reported, something to that effect. Now, I've said before on the Woj Low thing, I think Kawhi Leonard is going back to the Clippers. I don't know where all this buzz is coming from, but it does exist. Now, I think he's going back to the Clippers. What I said on the show is what I will say here. I have heard nothing credible or actionable to suggest that he's not going back to the Clippers. Okay? But if I were Sam Presti, I would absolutely use that cloudiness to my advantage and say, hey, you, you thought this 20, whatever, 2023 Clippers pick or 2024 Clippers pick, 2020, whatever it is, you thought that pick was not so good because the Clippers are going to be amazing for a long time. Well, hey, you, did you read that report? Did you read that? Like, maybe that pick is really good. On the flip side, maybe the Thunders want to keep it if they think it's going to be really good. But I don't, I can't figure out what they're going to do. But that, that's the drama of the draft. But I, I honestly, how big is, I'll ask you guys this, Schmitz, oh, you can go first. How big is the gap from three to four? Because this has been the quote unquote four player draft for a long time. And it just seems to me, talking to people around the league, that green is really enticing. Green is enticing and polarizing, but super enticing to the people who like him. Mobley is like universally beloved to the point that some people think he should be the number one pick. I don't hear as much Suggs love and excitement as I do for those three guys. So like how like three to six is obviously a big drop, but how big of a drop is three to four? Yeah, I think it's a, a decent size drop. I mean, Jonathan might you know, disagree here, but I'm not quite as like Jalen Suggs is a, is a number one caliber guy as some people, you know, you talk to some front offices during the year and, and they thought he, you know, potentially could be the number one pick. Um, I'm not sure I see like quite that level of star potential. I think he's going to be a really good player, a starter on a winning team, a potential all-star for a long, long time. Um, but I'm not sure I see like quite the upside as, you know, a Jalen Green or an Evan Mobley with him. He's very competitive. He's tough. He's going to win. Um, but is he like a guy you can hand the ball to late game and he can be like one of your primary options? Like he might be best with another point guard next to him, honestly. And um, so again, I've comped him to like Drew Holiday, you know, and that's obviously high praise, right? Like Drew Holiday, we saw what he did in the finals. We saw what he did, you know, all playoffs. Um, and so I think he's that kind of guy. Like he's maybe you're third option on a really really good team offensively and then he's going to be one of the best defenders in the nba what do you think Gavoni? there's definitely a gap uh, i started working this week on my 2022 mock draft which is going to drop right after um the, the 2021 draft uh, on thursday I, I want the 2026 mock draft i want i want the, i don't i don't I, that's what i want to see where does your daughter factor into the discussion or is she more 2036 draft prospect i i gotta do some math but she's yeah she's she's pretty <laughs> tall she's pretty tall that's all i'll say and will i be a crazy sports dad maybe it's on, it's on the table for me so as part of that research i went back and looked at my very first 2021 mock draft which had Cade cunningham number one jalen green number two Evan Mobley, number three, and Jalen and, 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 and by the way, this was like a long time ago. 18 months ago, yeah. We don't, I'm not going to talk about the rest of that projection, <laughs> but that is an indication for you about the talent level at the top of this class. Now, I am a, I've grown to become a huge Jalen Suggs fan, 
absolutely love everything he brings to the table as a competitor, as a defender, as a winner. But I do think that there's a little bit of a ceiling on him compared to the, those other three guys. Uh, you know, Mobley is being discussed by several GMs that I really respect as being the gem of this draft class. People are sky high on his upside, even though nobody wants bigs anymore and he's so thin and how assertive is he, whatever. So if I'm Toronto, I'm still really, really excited to add Jalen Suggs. But there's no question that there's a line being drawn between three and four. Can one of you tell me about what's going on with Kaminga? Why is he suddenly a candidate to slip to seven after this was a five-player draft and it was a four-player draft and Kaminga was five? Now he might slip to seven. Now some people are thinking, is he going to be there at nine, ten? Like I've heard people like, we don't know where Kaminga is going to be. What can one of you tell me? I mean, I I know the the bold strokes of why this is happening, but are you are either of you surprised? And do you think he does have a floor at seven or wherever it might be that this this idea that he's going to slip further is being a little blown out of proportion? Yeah, so Kaminga's journey, uh, or part of his journey, was here in my backyard, first in Long Island, and then in New Jersey, uh, you know, two different high schools he played for. So I got to know him very, very well in high school. And I was always a little bit skeptical about him as the number one pick candidate. Like, the first few games of the G League bubble, people were just going absolutely insane, saying, you know, this guy is, you know, he's better than Kate Cunningham, he can do everything you want. So... To go from there to maybe this guy dropping to 10 or 11, I think that's way too far. I think that's insanity, personally. I still think he's a very interesting long-term prospect. But, I mean, I there are some question marks there about his background. You know, people are worried about his brother. They, you know, they look at his offensive efficiency. They say he's a ball stopper. They say he's inattentive defensively. They say he's a streaky shooter. And all those things are true. But at the same time, the guy is six foot eight. He's an absolute freak athlete. He's got an incredible body, and he can really, really score. He's he, he. I always comped him to like a bigger Demar Derozan. That's the style of player he is, and that's not really for everybody. But and especially not for the Warriors. I think that's what they're looking at. And they're saying, you know, we don't need a ball stopper on our team. We need someone that's gonna you know help the ball zip. That's not Warriors basketball. But at the end of the day, this guy is is a talent, and that's what the draft is all about. You want to look back five years from now and say, not, you know, we got the best fit for our roster at that moment, but rather we got the best player in the draft. And Jonathan Kaminga has a chance to be one of the best players in this draft. Yeah, if you're gonna if you're the player you just described to me, ball stopper, inattentive on defense, doesn't shoot it well yet. I think he was 24% from three of the G League or something like that. Um if you're the Warriors and you're drafting that player at seven, you either one of all of maybe all of three things must be true. Number one, you think he has a chance to be a star. Number two, you think other teams that might have stars that they're going to have to trade think that he has a chance to be a star. Number three, you are dead rock 100% confident that at 14, you're getting a guy who can help your team next year. Because they do need to consider fit on their roster because they owe it to their three foundational superstars to consider fit on their roster. Schmitz, what do you think is going on with Kaminga and where's his floor? Yeah, it's just, it's the same stuff, you know, that that Jonathan said. And I, I agree with him, though, about like when we're talking about nine and ten, that's that's insane. 
Like, there are some bad wings in the NBA, okay? Can we talk about that? Like, there are some bad wings, like 6'6", 6'7", 6'8". If if you have those tools and, like, a little bit of length and you can kind of guard and kind of make a shot, like, you get so many bites at the apple in the NBA just because that's a position that every single team is looking for. And I think he has the potential to be that and then some. You know, I mean, you look at his shot creation potential, like he's not just like a runaround athlete, you know, like you look at his footwork in the mid post, his ability to draw fouls, like even though he had an up and down showing in the G League bubble, like it's hard to average 15, 16 points a game at at that level. You know, I think he is a little bit of an underrated passer as well when he plays the right way. Um, So I'm still very, very intrigued by his talent. And yeah, maybe he doesn't fit you know, the Warriors ball moving style. But I do think that you can go get some of the names that we talked about later on, like Trey Murphy, he can help you right away. Chris Duarte, he can help you right away. Like, I think some of those guys are going to be available. So if I were Golden State at seven, like I'm drafting Jonathan Kaminga if he's on the board. I'm I'm taking him all day. Well, that guy at 14 better be good. Uh, it better be really, you better, you better be right about him being ready to help your team. Let's go rapid fire. A couple teams we haven't talked about. Um, either of you can take this one. Knicks at 19 and 21 coming off a surprising 41 and 31 season with a ton of cap space. Obviously they have ambitions for somebody like Damian Lillard down the line. And I think that is down the line. I don't know that that moves anytime before the trade deadline, if it even moves then, um, Either of you, like, should we just expect the Knicks to, to make these picks? I mean, Gavone, you've written that they maybe could package them and try to move up. Is there any, tra- is there any traction there? I mean, 19 and 21, it's not going to get you It's not gonna get you into the top 10. That's, I, I don't think that's for sure. Yeah, it's not even going to get you into the late lottery right now. They're, they've tried to package those picks and get into those um, early teams uh, slots, and they've, got, and they've gone nowhere. What they're going to have to do if they want to make a trade is use this incredible financial flexibility that they have. They have, you know, potentially more cap room than any team in the NBA and take on a bad contract or two, go get another uh, high pick, you know, the same way that we saw Oklahoma city do, you know, taking on Kemba's contract. So, and what Memphis just did, and this is like a replay of two years ago when Memphis did this with Iguodala and all the Knicks fans yeah, were like, that wait, 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 that was available to the Knicks too. And, and I think they, they, now I will well, say I will say slowly. You know, this is the yeah. Knicks we're talking about. I will say this time though, it's different to me because you've established to some degree a baseline level of competency, a baseline level of appeal around the league, and it's much more reasonable to be now to me now than it was two years ago that the Knicks can say, okay, let's save some of this ammo for somebody big rather than using some of our ammo, like our cap space, on something a little bit more futurey. Now, obviously they're going to have to use their cap space one way or another this summer, but I, I, I don't think it, I, I think this is more reasonable, but yes, there is some degree of like, I've seen this Memphis stealing this trade before. Yeah. Um, I mean, just, uh, we'll see what they end up using that cap room on and, and we'll see how quickly, you know, if at all, like a Lillard or a Beal or Towns or Levine become available to them, because that's what they're really keeping their books clear for. And, you know, maybe they're right. You know, if you end up with, you know, a top 15 player, NBA player to pair with Randall and RJ Barrett, then, you know, you're well on your way to competing for a championship. Schmitz, is there any team we didn't talk about that you that you want to hit? Any we didn't we barely talked Orlando's got five and eight. Um, You know, we didn't talk about a lot of the contenders like the Lakers, the Nets and the Clippers all have picks uh, in this draft, which is 
not going to be usual for them. They don't really control most of their picks. Any of those, any interesting stuff there? I think Orlando is interesting, you know, having five and eight. I mean, Scotty Barnes is, has been the name that, that you hear there, you know, consistently at five. I think he's one of the most, um, fun players in this draft just when you talk about like his size versatility it's just they need to go get a guy who can score the ball at, at number eight right like that's that's what they need when you talk about you know jonathan isaac and markel fultz and you know a lot of these guys when you pair that with scotty barnes i think making sure you get someone at eight um is interesting and then are any teams trying to move back and, and, and get five and eight, right? Like, do they see, okay, maybe we, we're we higher on player X and maybe he's there at five and then we can get another pick as well, you know? So um, I'm interested to see if anything shakes out there. Givoni, anything on the back end about those contenders? I mean, we know what the Lakers are going to try to do this summer. We have, we have days ad nauseum to talk about that. The Clippers, I do feel like Kawhi's injury to me makes it more likely that they just use the pick on a young player instead of trying to trade it for veteran win now help because I think you have to just kind of punt this season if Kawhi is going to miss the season. But any anything on those teams? I'm really interested to see what Denver does. Uh, Tim Connolly, always one of the most fun guys to watch on draft night. He always has something up his sleeve. He needs to you know, get something done in that backcourt. You know, Starting Campazzo and Austin Rivers probably isn't a solution for them. You know, and they have a couple of they have 26. They have Monte Morris. So they've got, you know, all their future picks here. They could do something. You know, Zeke Naji. I could see them being a team that, you know, maybe trades up, looks at a Davion Mitchell in the late lottery, something like that. So, you know, the Nuggets are always going to be a fun team to watch on draft night. All right. Well, you guys have a lot to do. That's enough of wasting your time uh, on the Low Post podcast. Jonathan Gavoni, Mike Schmitz, you're both going to be in Brooklyn for the draft, skulking around, getting information. Mike's going to be all over your televisions with his handsome face. Um, thank you guys for all the hard work you do. I look forward on your behalf to the end of the draft where you can relax for eight seconds before you begin work on the 2028 mock draft <laughs> scouting elementary schools around the country you guys do exceptional work jonathan and mike thank you very much thanks zach thanks zach two guys drove to work neither guy wore a seatbelt. one guy got a ticket one guy didn't the same two guys drove home one guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA.